Today's reading is Psalms 23, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You, appoint my head, uh, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm Pastor Tim. If we haven't met, uh, please say hi to me after the service. And if we haven't, I'd love to uh, meet you and get to know you a little bit. Uh, starting a new series, but let's uh, break the ice, literally. Did anyone notice it was a little cold around here the last uh, week? Say amen if you thought it was cold out. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying it was cold outside this past week, but Kathy and I had to open our refrigerator just to heat the house. That's how cold it was. Thank you. Thank you very much. I... I'm sort of weird this way. Anyone else do this? I'm like the morning of like 27 below or whatever I got to, like the temperature, not the wind chill. And I was like, I want to feel that. I want to get, when I get up, I want to go out and, so I want to experience that. I want to, because we closed the church campus, so I didn't, you know, have to go anywhere. And it wouldn't have been wise to go anywhere, but I was like, I want to experience that. So I went out the, I went out the front door and I went outside and I went, all right, I experienced that. <laughs> That's pretty much what it was like. It was like, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. And this wave of cold came that we haven't seen since the mid-80s in the Chicago area. And uh, how many of you had a plan for the cold weather? Because it was coming, that wave was coming, and you had to have a plan, right? I mean, how are we going to keep the house, you know, what's our backup plan if the furnace goes out? I mean, make sure our pipes don't freeze. How are things on the roof, ice jams? I mean, how many of you kind of were thinking those thoughts this last few days? Did I raise your hand? Yeah, well, now it's like a 70-degree change. Isn't that crazy? But we had to have a plan for the wave of potential trouble. There's another wave of potential trouble this afternoon that's associated with the Super Bowl. It's called the food. But before we get to the food, we like to do this every year. There's been a theme in our first two services over the weekend in this boat. Not who do you want to win the game today, who do you think is going to win the game today? Raise your hand if you think the New England Patriots are going to win the football game today. And how many of you think the Rams are going to win the game today? All right, it's exactly consistent. There's been a strong majority uh, thinking that at the end of this game, the Patriots are going to be holding up the trophy. Let's get to the food. The average American today, from kickoff to the end of the game, and all that comes with it, the commercials, the halftime show, and all the hype, all that, from kickoff, not all the pregame, kickoff to the end of the game, you will consume on average 2,400 calories. That's average. That means people are going way over, and some people aren't eating a lot at all. Now, I work life in food in Big Macs, so that's 4.36 Big Macs, okay? So just when the game starts, if you just want to get it over with, just line up four plus Big Macs in front of you and just work your way through it as the game goes on. That's how many calories we're taking in. 
I have some statistics for you people who, like me, love some numbers. 12.5 million pizzas are going to be eaten today during the Super Bowl. 8 million pounds of guacamole will be consumed. Holy guacamole. Who's got guac on their radar today? Come on, be honest. And according to the National Chicken Council, are you ready for this number? 1.3 billion, not million, billion chicken wings will be eaten today during the Super Bowl. That's three plus chicken wings for every person in America. There's a wave coming. You need a plan. Or it could be disastrous. You could be in a food coma later if you're not careful. There's a wave of food coming. The wave of cold was coming. Now as we get a little more serious, we think about a wave in matters of faith. There's a wave that comes to the believer every day. And I don't think we think about it like we do when we're hearing about a cold snap or we hear about how we're going to manage, you know, this thing of food later. I mean, like, we don't get the plan together maybe as well as we should. And in matters of faith, this wave we wrestle with as people of faith every day is called sin. The things we say and think and do that are not God's will for our lives, the actions we do that are against God's will, the things we say that are not God's will for us, the things we think that are not God's will for us. We're not off the hook with just our words and our actions, our thoughts. And that's where it gets a little more challenging. And, you know, what Pastor Tim was thinking when Cody Parkey double-doinked the field goal, not, it was sinful. And that wave comes every day, doesn't it? Temptation, brokenness, mistakes, What's your plan? How do you deal with that? When you wake up every day, how are you going to reconcile that? St. Paul writes this. He says, let's put that up there. Read it with me if you can. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's read it again and let it really sink in. Think about the words you're saying. Here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Elbow a person nearby you and say that means you. Go ahead and say that. All have sinned. Everybody. All, yeah. And what does that tell us? Christians too. And I think Christians might get in a little bit of trouble Let's just be honest with each other here. We think of these kinds of thoughts. Well, I know I make mistakes, but at least I'm not as bad as that person over there. Oh, I, I've done some bad things in my life. I've sinned against God, but oh, my sins have not been as bad as those sins over there with her. And that's a slippery slope because of what the biblical truth tells us today is who sinned? All have sinned. And if all have sinned, then the rest of this verse is biblically true as well for our lives. Then we all fall short of God's measuring stick, God's standard. 
God's glory, we all fall short of it. There is no one here perfect. There is no one here who's above uh, sinfulness and the wrestle of uh, the battle that goes on every day, the wave that comes. So what is the plan for us? How do we deal with that? How do we go through daily life as a person of faith knowing that all have sinned? How do we reconcile this biblical truth in the presence of a holy God? How do we come before a God who's perfect knowing our brokenness? And if you're like me, sometimes you just get so down on yourself because you know you've said and done and thought some things that aren't God's will for you. And you're just like, I'm just not a good person. There's this ugliness inside of me. There's a sinfulness inside of me. And it 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 just stirs me up and it just makes me feel so low. How do we reconcile that with God? Well, I suggest we look no further today than King David. King David was the greatest king of Israel in the Old Testament. He lived to be about 70 years old. He had a reign of 40 years, and when he took over as king, Israel was sort of this sort of disbanded, sort of semi together uh, confederacy of these 12 tribes. And they were just kind of all around and, and in the Holy Land area in the Middle East. And, they were in, and David came along and said, I'm going to bring us all together. And in David's 40-year reign, he, he brought up Israel into the most powerful nation, the, mo- the, the richest nation. They were the, the greatest nation of, of all. And, and people still in the Jewish tradition will say he was the greatest king Israel's ever known. He was the greatest king ever for what he did and accomplished. But he had so many low lows and mistakes in his life. Take a look at this list of David's mistakes. It's an interesting list. And they're the things that are still happening today. He uh, was out on the palace, uh, outdoor walking on the palace, and he looked across and saw a woman named Bathsheba. And he was incredibly attracted to her, and he had servants go call for her, and Bathsheba was brought to King David, and he committed adultery. Now that being a problem, because she's married to a guy named Uriah, King David tells the military leader, next time you're in battle, put Uriah in the front row. And the word comes back that Uriah has been killed in battle. Murder, adultery. That's incredible lows for David. How did he reconcile that with the holy God? couple more things. He broke God's law. He was with his friends and the high priest gave them the consecrated bread in the temple because they were hungry and there was nothing else to eat and no one should eat the consecrated bread but the high priest. So he broke God's law. He disobeyed God because God directly told him, do not take a census of how many people and warriors you have. But David was so proud of his, uh, of his work and his reign as king. He's like, I'm going to take the census anyway. And God said, don't take the census. And he did it. And God said, okay, there's going to be a punishment now because you directly disobeyed me. Because David said, I'm not going to trust in you, God. I'm going to trust in my numbers. I'm going to trust in how many people I have. And let's go ahead to that slide. C.S. Lewis said, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace and difficulties. King David had difficulties, folks. These biblical people, these men and women we read about, were far from perfect Being in the Bible doesn't equate to being a super righteous person. 
Life with God is not immunity from difficulties. Another misconception of Christianity. Oh, if I become a Christian, I guess I won't have any issues or problems or lows. Oh, we all do. The wave comes. But we can have peace in difficulties. How can we do that? Let's turn to the psalm for today. One of the most familiar psalms in our Bible, Psalm 23. I'd love for you to be there with me because we're going we're gonna to do some really interesting shifts. We're going to shift twice in this text together. So I hope you can grab a Bible or bring it up on your phone or whatever. And if you don't, that's fine. I'll read it to you. But it's always best when we're in it together. Psalm 23. This is David's pen. David writes this. The Lord is my what? Shepherd. David was a boy shepherd. He knew the, he knew the routine. He knew the job. He knew what it meant to be a shepherd. I, ha- I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. David is talking to us now through his pen generations later to this moment right now. He's telling us about the Lord he knows. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He takes me down the right paths. He. But watch what happens now. Watch what happens as we get into verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, depending on the translation, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. Next pronoun, next word. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, first word. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David shifts the pronoun from talking about God, he does this, he does that, to you, to talking to God. I'm talking about God, which is never a bad thing. We come to connect groups, we might talk about God, or we might talk about God to people, or, but to talk to God is a whole other thing. And it grows your relationship with God. It grows your intimacy with God, talking to God. You're with me, your rod, your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table. You anoint my head with oil. Oh, it's personal now. There's a relationship here. So the first thing I want to suggest to you for a game plan when we wrestle with the wave of sin is when we admit and and embrace our mistakes, when we're feeling guilty, when we're feeling ashamed, don't run from God. Run to God. Run to God and talk to God directly. Confess your sins telling God you're sorry, and your relationship with the Lord will grow. It's our human nature when we're ashamed and feeling guilty and we know we've sinned to run away from God. I don't want to be in the presence of a holy God. I feel, I feel dirty. I feel messy. I feel like I've, bro- I've made a mistake. And God says, oh, don't run away from me. Run to me and talk to me. Confess to me directly. And we'll grow that relationship together. King David had some highs and lows, folks. 
made a lot of mistakes. But I want to um, go through this list quickly with you. It, he penned Psalm 103. It, it, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All that's within me, rejoice. Praise his holy name. He, uh, hi, hi, I'm going to write about that. But then he, he made mistakes. And when God sent a messenger to tell him that his, his act of adultery w- was against God's will, then he, he penned Psalm 51, uh, confessing from the depth of his soul, I'm so sorry, Lord, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm broken. Psalm 13, Lord, I, where are you? Are you there? How long will, will you be silent? Have you forgotten about me? This incredible relationship that has grown over the years of David's life, and I think if he were here today, he'd want to tell you, when you make mistakes, run to God. Don't run away from God. And that's the first thing I want to encourage you with today. Let's go to Psalm 23, verse 5 now for the second thing, to, uh, the, to have a plan for that wave of sin. First is run to God. Watch the second shift now that happens in this psalm. Verse 5, let's read that again. David says, speaking to the Lord, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The shift now goes from the Lord is my, the psalm starts what? The Lord is my shepherd to now the Lord as my host. The metaphor and the imagery completely changes to host. To host. Look at the things he's doing for King David. You prepare a table, verse 5, in the presence of my enemies. For us, it's the enemy of sin. It's the enemy of our own death. It's the enemy of our brokenness because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and, And God says, I'm preparing a table for you in the presence of all that. You anoint my head with oil. I'm going to pour my uh, incredible gifts of love and grace into your life. Even though I know you're broken, even though I know you make mistakes, I'm your host and I'm going to do that. My cup overflows. I'm going to keep your cup full. David's saying this. David's saying this. And here we go. David's saying, the God who set the planet spinning in motion without any strings attached, in perfect orbit, and spoke things into creation is the very same God who puts on an apron and goes back into the kitchen to make sure the pots are not boiling over and make sure the feast is being spread on the incredible table and make sure the, the incredible wine is being filled up as host and he keeps pouring wine and pouring wine and pouring wine for David. And David goes, who, me? I've committed adultery. Who, me? I set up a man who would lose his life? Who, me? I broke your laws, God. Who, me? I directly disobeyed you, God. And God says, yeah, David, come here. Come here, David. Sit down. Sit down at my table. I've made this table for you. Can you picture the Lord serving David like that? And David wants to speak through this psalm to you today and say that's exactly what the Lord wants to do for you when you make mistakes. He says, sit at my table. I'm going to anoint you with my grace and my love when you make mistakes. 
I'm going to anoint you with forgiveness. Sit at my table. I'm going to have my abundant blessings pour over you like a glass that keeps getting filled and filled and filled again and again. The Lord is my host when I make mistakes. As he serves me. As he serves me in my brokenness and my sin and my mistakes. Can I hit the pause button here and and, and ask you a question? I want you to think about what image or metaphor or word would summarize what is, is behind the why or what motivates you every day of your life. I want to back right into this answer with you, with this illustration. Later tonight, after 2,400 calories, someone, some team is going to hold up a trophy. Some team is going to lift that trophy. And if I may be so bold with you this morning, if we could just talk to each other here for a second, might this be the image that sort of answers the question I just asked for you and me? We want to hold up the trophy. We want the personal accomplishments. We want to be the best. We want our kids to go to the best schools so they can get the best jobs, so they can make the best money to have the best career and the personal accomplishments. And we want to hold up that trophy. That, that might just be what drives us. And I'm not here today to say that we shouldn't be pursuing the trophy, but I'm here to suggest because of Psalm 23 and what the Lord is doing in this text for David, that it may, may not perhaps should be the number one thing we're pursuing in life. It's not a bad thing to pursue the trophy, but is that the number one thing? In Mark 10:43, Jesus speaks into this challenging imagery we're wrestling with here, and he says, "You want to be great? Here's how you're great. You want to be the greatest? Be the servant." Be the servant. So from Old Testament with the Lord and, and, and his relationship with David to God in flesh now in Jesus, he is, God is consistent. Turn to someone and say, God is consistent. Go ahead and say that. Because later on in John's gospel, on the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's having his last meal with his followers, his disciples. And as they're gathering in John's gospel for this, what we call the Last Supper, and which we'll share in later on in our worship, Jesus gets down on a knee after taking a towel, and he says, come here, Peter, come here. Let me show you what it looks like when the Lord is host and serves us. And in Jesus' day, the first thing that would happen when you entered someone's home is 
a servant would wash your feet because of the dust and the sandals to clean your feet. And Jesus says, come here, Peter. And he washes his feet. And then he takes a towel. He dries his feet. And Peter freaks out. And says, Lord, I'm the one who should be doing that to you. But what was Jesus doing in this moment with his followers? In this incredibly intimate moment? He was modeling and living out God's very heart. He was saying, the number one thing in life is not to hold up a trophy. But the number one pursued in life should be to hold up the towel. this was the image for our lives, how would that change our parenting strategy with our kids? If we taught them that the number one pursuit in life is not to hold the trophy, but to hold up the towel and serve, how would our marriages change if our spouse daily held up the towel for the other? How would our friendships, our relationships at work change? The second thing when we wrestle with the wave of sin is to allow God to serve us because here we go. Here's the next step and the final step with you today. Jesus serves us all the way to the cross. The servant's heart went all the way to the cross for your sins, for your mistakes. And as people of faith, our response should be to model what he did all the way to and through the cross. To forgive our mistakes. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Martin Luther King put it well when he talked about greatness. And he said this, Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Echoing the words of Christ, you want to be great? You want to be the greatest? Don't hold up the trophy. Hold up the towel. Paul says, the Lord says, my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. Let's, let's end with that scripture. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. Let, let the Lord speak this into your heart right now as you think about the mistakes you and I make in our lives. God says to you right now, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God says to you today, is made perfect in your weakness. The Lord tells you today, come sit at my table. Run to me. Run to me. Sit at my table and let my love and grace and forgiveness pour over you and into 
your life. May we pray? Lord, we all make mistakes. Your scripture says all have sinned and fall short of your glory. We embrace that truth, Lord. Instead of running away from you when we sin, may we run to you as David did. And may we allow you to serve us. Lord, we thank you for serving all the way to the cross to forgive our sins, our mistakes. And now, Lord, may our response to that incredible gift of life be to model your son and the life he lived as we serve one another for your glory, not our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen.